0: It's interesting what the millennials say because 43% of them, which is pretty terrifying, <laughs> say that they think that socialism would be good. They would really like it if the government just makes all the rules and we just kind of get rid of that good old free market system that you know caused most of them, many of them, to grow up in the upper middle class because of freedom and what freedom does in an economy. 43% of them would rather have socialism. On the other hand, the same millennials of them don't want their taxes to go up. Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, it's Robin Openshaw. Welcome back to The Vibe Show, or you might be on my Rumble channel or my YouTube channel. I promised that today I would talk about things that I think you could buy right now to be prepared that are actually going to be worth way, way, way more than the money that you paid for them. If you have some savings and you're willing to invest some of that savings in things that are going to be incredibly value, valuable, I believe in this oncoming dark winter. So that's going to be the main focus of this conversation is I want to share with you. It was a Facebook post that I then took down like 24 hours later. That's what I had been doing. I was working really well for a couple months. And then I went back to Facebook jail. So I'm in 30 days of Facebook jail right now. And it was for posting my last in this series where I talked about the seven things that I would do before I would even consider letting anybody check me in to a medical facility. And I don't share that because I'm super worried about myself being checked into a medical facility. I had COVID. If it's true that there are antibodies, and I think that the antibodies story is just as spurious and sketchy as the PCR story is and the virus story is in the first place. So who knows? I'm still keeping my ears and eyes peeled for, is this about graphene oxide? Is this What is this exactly? Uh, I don't think all the pieces have landed, but I'm going to talk about mostly that today. So this is kind of a preparedness focus, but I have a few things that I want to catch you up on first. And one of them is a follow-up to my last episode which was the seven things that i wrote down when i got sick and i had a doctor who had been as a friend of mine in utah and he had recently been hospitalized and he was sort of hovering over me and calling me almost every day and telling me that i needed to get a pulse oximeter and my oxygen was fine like john and i never got anywhere near having to go to a hospital but you know he he was anxious and and looking out for me which i appreciate but at the same time, and I've told you this, my friend the radio talk show host Kate Daly whose video on this last I heard a month ago had gotten 2 million views because people don't have an inside view on what's really going on in the hospitals. Uh she, her husband was in the hospital. He's he's overweight, he's diabetic, he's uh 4 years older than me. So, you know, a little bit different situation, but she was giving me the blow by blow by text while while John and I were getting really quite sick. You know, I I will say this about COVID, like we're sicker than we have been in many years. That said, I never get sick. So that's why we were sicker than we have been in many years. Uh, So I wanted to mention that that uh, episode, the seven things that I would say I do want or I absolutely categorically refuse to get, I was out to dinner. We were out on the beach um, Saturday, which is what, two days ago with our friends And he's a respiratory therapist in two ICUs here in Florida. And he came out on the beach and I was telling him about this content that I did. And I said, I love you. Look at it and like tell me what you think. And I didn't even go through all seven things. I just said, if I was going to be in a hospital, I don't even want to walk in the door because I know that all the white coats just swarm you and put you into their system. And your loved one, your next of kin is just standing there going, oh, now we're in." We're in safe hands. Well, none of these people even know that remdesivir is killing people. There's very few of them who know that. And there's none of them who are going to stand up to it and say, I don't think this is the appropriate treatment for this patient. Very, very, very rare that uh, uh, even a doctor who's kind of top of the heap is going to say, I don't think this is appropriate. But this friend of mine was telling us about a 39-year-old black guy and a 49-year-old white guy who were admitted in his previous shift. And both of them had very equivalent scans of their lungs. And he said, they're both of them, both lobes of their lungs were completely full of garbage, right? Like inflammation and, and uh, mucus. In fact, he showed me later, we got off the beach and we went to dinner. And later he showed me the pictures of these two guys' lungs. So a nice lung scan will look all black. This was all full of white, okay? And they call it secretions. I call it mucus um, and inflammation. So that's what a, a lungs in trouble look like. That's what pneumonia looks like. So he told me that it's going to be a very interesting experiment because I had sent him a video saying, is Dr. Brian Artis talking about how Fauci a year and a half ago said that all the hospitals in America have to use remdesivir and vent. And the vent, it involves sedatives and paralytics as we talked about before, because I won't totally review my last episode, go on my channel and get the last episode. If you didn't hear the seven things that I went through that I don't want in the hospital or that I do want, both of which you're going to have a fight on your hands to get the care that you want. Well, I just told him a couple of the things, including I don't want remdesivir and under no circumstances do I want a vent. If you really think I'm going to die, then run it past my next of kin, tell him. And if he buys off on it, yeah, she's going to die, then crank up the fentanyl and let me die. And I was telling him, since I sent him that Brian Artis uh, video, it's like a little 14-minute talk that Dr. Artis has done. Dr. Artis is all over the country trying to wake people up to the fact that remdesivir kills. That in the trials that Fauci used to justify why everybody in America has to use this protocol, I call it the Fauci death protocol, uh, the two studies that he pointed to show terrible outcomes for remdesivir. And so since then, he's had his, his eyes open. And I mentioned in the last episode that when I texted him that, he was like, oh, I'm doing this. I'm busy. I'm like, great. Well, on your way to work next time, I knew you had a one hour drive to work. Next time you're on your way to work, then listen to it. Listen to uh, doc- what Dr. Artis had to say. And his reply to me after he watched it was, holy shit, we do this to everyone. And I said, yeah, I know. You told me you do this to everyone. So I wanted you to know that when you just Give everybody end to end the same treatment, then you really can't, you know, these healthcare workers aren't going to know that it's, it's the remdesivir because I said to him, I'm like, could it be all the drugs you have to put somebody on in order to get them to not bite you when you shove a plastic tube down their trach? And he's like, well, I'm a respiratory therapist. I've been venting people my whole career. He said, we, it didn't always kill people. And he was telling me about this 39-year-old and 49-year-old guy. He said, it's going to be very interesting. He goes, when I go back to work, and I'll fill you guys in on what happened. He said, because the 49-year-old guy had monoclonal antibodies that morning. Now, those of you who are watching Florida very carefully, you know that Ron DeSantis aggressively went out there when he realized that monoclonal antibodies worked and he was getting monoclonal antibodies really available to the people and setting up little pop-up clinics everywhere, and. Florida's hospitalization rate has tanked. Well, this guy who's 49, both these guys are overweight, by the way, Um, not necessarily morbidly obese, but they're both overweight. Um, 49-year-old guy had had monoclonal antibodies that morning. And for whatever reason, those making the decisions, which would not be my respiratory therapist friend, right? Like he doesn't prescribe meds. They decided that because he had had that treatment, they weren't going to put him on remdesivir. So my friend is like, I'm gonna watch because both of these guys, the 49 year old guy had walked in, and his wife had been sitting out in the parking lot, expecting her husband to come walking out of the ER. Well, instead, they took a scan of his lungs and they saw that he had pneumonia, and they escalated him. They're gonna send him upstairs to the ICU, and that's when my friend realized this guy's gonna die. Everybody we send upstairs dies, right? Then they're there for good. Now they're inpatient and. They're going to get the vent and they're going to get the remdesivir. And so he sat there and fought for this guy's wife and his child. Looked in his chart and saw that he had a minor child and fought for them to come in and be able to talk to him. Because my friend knew that this man is likely going to die. Well, what's interesting is that this guy isn't going to get remdesivir. I don't know if monoclonal antibodies uh contraindicate remdesivir or they just felt like too much treatment in one day. I don't know why they decided not to give him remdesivir, but he's the only one. He's the only one that they had accepted for COVID or for pneumonia that they didn't slap him on remdesivir, which kills about 30% of people for kidney failure. So they're literally just wrecking the kidneys of anybody who comes in with a respiratory infection. So he told me, you know, we've been venting people for years and years and years. We said, but I haven't seen that 90% of them die like is happening right now. So he thinks it's remdesivir. So this will be an interesting experiment. That's the cliffhanger. I'll get back to you on what happened with this 49-year-old patient. Obviously, I'm not going to say the name of my friend who's in the healthcare system or what hospitals he works at or any of that. Um, but that's the cliffhanger there. And I want to point out that when I went... Then we went to dinner off the beach and now I'm talking to him about what the seven things are like, no remdesivir. I don't want a vent. I want an IV vitamin C. And this when he started laughing. He started laughing. And I said, I, I kind of knew what he was laughing about. And I said, what? And he said, you show up with a list like that and your next of kin or you or whoever hands this piece of paper to the person at the hospital, which you do and don't want. He goes, you will get laughed out of there. He said, everybody in the break room will be like, who does this lady think she is? And I said, okay, let's call my, my friend James. I'm like, okay, James. So here we are in a restaurant how come I can walk in here and they hand me a menu and I can choose this thing and that thing and say no to all the other things, right? I want this food. I want that drink, but not the other ones. Why can't I walk into your hospital and choose this thing and that thing, but not these other things? Why can't I? And he's like, I, I agree with you. Like it's, it's insane. And I said, and you know what else is that there's no other facility that I can go to. Where is the outpatient clinic where I can go and get an IV vitamin C, you know, with COVID? I mean, you know, when John and I had COVID, we went and got a bag of vitamin C, IV vitamin C at one of those places, but we we, we had to pretend like we didn't have COVID, you know, and we weren't there to infect anybody and, you know, we just kept to ourselves, but, you know, you can only go there if you're pretending you're completely symptom free. But where is the facility where you can go as a non-vaccinated person and get your IV vitamin C and get your ivermectin, which is literally being driven off the market. And you can get, you know, you can say, well, I want the inhaled steroid, the budesonide, not the liquid steroid and all the other things on my list of seven. Okay. So if you guys missed the video where I said, these are the seven things that I would insist on or rather, I, or I just rather stay out of the hospital and take my chances. Right. Get, get somebody who's willing to like be a home healthcare nurse and bring me some supplemental oxygen and I'll totally take my chances at home. So we have our ivermectin. I talked about why ivermectin, I believe is being driven off the market right now to make way for a different thing that they'll use the brand recognition and all the hype and all the FOMO around ivermectin to bring it back. Well, guess what? Since I released that video a week ago, they've already done it. They've already done it. There's, there's a, News stories out there about Pfizer Mectin. Okay. So Pfizer is bringing back an ivermectin. It says it has a 50% success rate. Okay. Well, then it's not ivermectin because ivermectin has an 85% success rate just prophylactically, just at preventing, uh, COVID. And it, and you know what? It's gotten rid of 97% in Uttar Pradesh in India, huge state in India. You have everybody. Uh, ivermectin, and they literally eliminated 97% of their COVID problem. Basically, their COVID problem is gone in this huge state in India and other states in India too. But everybody's kind of looking at Uttar Pradesh because they just gave it to everyone along with some vitamin D and some vitamin C and some Tylenol. So anyway, I wanted to give you that update that I told you the seven things my respiratory therapist friend told me repeatedly. He kept laughing and saying, you would literally be laughed out of there. They would be like, who does this lady think she is? And I was like, well, who I am is someone who actually educated myself about these issues. And I could speak articulately and I could give you chapter and verse of all the research studies out there that shows that ivermectin works. And you go, yeah, they don't care. So apparently the hospitals are not actually a place that you have a menu that you can select from. Rather, they bear much closer resemblance to a prison. So that's, that's the update I want to give you on my last episode is that maybe if you go to a hospital, you get yourself a hospital bed because I said to my friend, well, do you think that they would just turn me away? Like literally say you, sh- you don't get medical care because I have specific issues that I don't even want to be hospitalized unless I, I realize they agree that, that I can have what I want and that they're not going to force on me what I don't want. So after what he had to say, my, Sense is just get yourself a bed in the facility, and then either be alert enough if you can, or have your next of kin be willing to fight like a like a mama bear for you, and say absolutely no remdesivir. So secure your bed first, because what I said to my friend James is, I said, do you think they would turn me away because they want to save the bed? You know, it's not that you guys, it's not that all the beds are full. It's not that the places are overflowing with people. It's that they are low on staff and they're about to be much lower on staff, especially in places like New York, where they're about to literally fire 78,000 healthcare workers. And did you know that they don't get any unemployment benefits? So they're literally sending 78,000 people home to just starve, I guess. I mean, in a lot of families, there's two, there's two, uh, earners. Who both depend on the healthcare system. Seventy-eight thousand people in New York alone who are saying, "I'll take my chances uh, with unemployment because I'm not getting the death jab." Not after what I've seen, and not after what I've read and learned. So, anyway, my friend said, "Yeah, you can't get you can't get that care anywhere else." And so, you know, maybe you get. You, you get in the hospital and then you negotiate from there because I said, are they turning people away? So what I was going to say is that there's, you know, only so many beds that there's staff for. It's not like the hospital is overflowing with people in it. You might have a hospital that has very, very little of its capacity being used because they only have the staff to manage so many beds. And so that's what the media doesn't tell you is overflowing ICUs, well, they're way understaffed and they're about to get worse. It's about to get worse. And of course the media isn't going to tell you that. They're not going to put it in context for you and point out that actually um, it's not how many beds there are. It's how many beds there are that they have staff to actually care for the people in those beds. So I said, is it because they get $39,000 for every person they vent? For every person who dies. And he goes, Oh no, no, no. It's not 39,000. He goes, Are you kidding me? We get 150,000 for every COVID patient that we admit. And we already know that there's no due diligence required by the CDC to actually prove somebody has COVID. So you can call anybody a COVID patient pretty much. All right. So you guys knew some of that, some of that might be new. Uh, To alter what I said last week, maybe you don't go in with a piece of paper and say, I'll come here, I'll bring my business here, I'll check into this hospital if you agree to these seven things. Maybe nobody would agree to those seven things. So maybe instead you get yourself a bed, you're a lot harder to kick out, whereas it's easy to just not admit you. You get yourself a hospital bed and then you have somebody there who is taking a look at those seven things. And being very careful to not let the medical staff know if you're on ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. I have people telling me that theirs is being confiscated and you just resist remdesivir. Pull up the studies that Fauci used to justify remdesivir and educate the medical staff. Say, no, I, it's going to cause kidney failure. Okay. It's going to cause kidney failure. And you don't want to, you don't want to be accountable for that. You don't want to be responsible for causing this person I love to get kidney failure or multi-system organ failure, even worse, both are a death sentence. So that's a little update on all that stuff. This morning, I meant to work. I meant to get some podcasting done. And instead, I ended up, I didn't know I could join online, but I sent hundreds of people to the Utah State Capitol, where there was a hearing held by the Utah Senate. And it was all about Biden's Vaccine mandate for companies of 100 employees or more. Well, what's interesting, you guys, is that 1,000 people showed up. Nine o'clock on a Monday morning, probably most of these people had to get a babysitter or take a half a day off work. I was in that meeting for five and a half hours. While hundreds of people took the microphone, we each were given only 60 seconds I spoke. I was allowed to speak as someone who came in remotely and it was absolutely devastating. I'm still vibrating high from that meeting because, uh, Senator Kurt Bramble, who everybody should know his name if you're from Utah, Senator Kurt Bramble, he's been in the Senate for 21 years, which is far too long. And he is one of probably four of the worst free, uh, enemies of medical freedom in Utah. Make sure you get really clear on that. Is he in closed? door sessions, and also by at least one public statement that I know of, we have it on video, um, help Deep Six SB 208, which was Dr. Mike Kennedy, who's a Utah senator, Senator Kennedy's uh, medical freedom bill, which we desperately needed in Utah to shore up our God-given right to choose what kind of medical treatments go in our own body. What we inject into our own body seems so basic. Can you even believe that we're in this whole conversation? Well, a thousand people showed up, maybe 200 called in, 800 were there in person and took five and a half hours to give everybody who wanted to speak 60 seconds. And then just turn off your mic if you talk longer than 60 seconds. And uh, Kurt Bramble, I believe, was just sort of posturing because... He wants to look like a hero when he comes out against Biden's mandate. Hello, everyone's against Biden's mandate. They only got two people there who were like, I'm so sick. I've been hiding out at home for two years. I want the mandates because I'd like to be able to go to a restaurant. And for some reason, this person really believes that if everybody got vaccinated, that he he would finally be able to come out of his house and go to a restaurant. Well, you know what? We are... We are serious hypochondriacs in this country at this point, but they still only had two people speak on behalf of the mandates. Uh, The Chamber of Commerce showed up. They have been one of the biggest enemies of small businesses in Utah. Ironically, they were part of writing Utah leads together with then Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox, who is now our governor. Didn't vote for him, don't know anybody who voted for him. He is also an enemy of medical freedom. He has already stated that he will veto. Uh, a medical freedom bill. He's completely against medical freedom. He would love nothing more than a bill, probably because of, I don't know, tens of millions of dollars worth of pharmaceutical funds that he's received to behave in a certain way as an elected official. And you guys saw that Gladys Berejiklian, Jr. and however you say her last name, she's one of the premiers, one of the premiers, uh, in Australia over, uh, New South Wales. Uh, was discovered to have received tens of millions of dollars from pharma and she had to step down in total disgrace. How I would love that, how I would love a flashlight on the leaders of Utah who are on the take and making their own decisions and representing people badly. So those are some updates. It was really hard to listen to some people speak at the hearing today because people's uh, language often is stuff like I feel grateful that you've been a, you know, you've called this meeting or they might say like, please allow us our freedom. Okay. We have to stop thinking like that so that we stop speaking like that. So we stop creating this energy that these elected officials who have done nothing but hurt our medical freedom. Okay. Kurt Brample wants you to know that he's against the Biden illegal mandate, but behind closed doors, what he's doing on a state level is nothing but harm. Nothing but harm to Utah, Utah's medical freedom. And it's probably because of all the special interests that keep him elected. Okay. He's not, he's not popular with the people right now. Uh, what he's doing is very, very unpopular with the people. His excuse with SB 208, just so you know how these guys think is that he'll say there, that bill just had some unintended consequences. That bill had some problems. Well, hold these guys feet to the fire then and say, then be, then do everything in your power to make sure that that bill can pass. And that it is ironclad in protecting our state's medical freedom. If we don't have medical freedom, we have no freedom, period. If you don't have a say over what is injected into your body or medication, any kind of medication whatsoever, if if we lose the ability to choose what pharmaceutical products go into our body, do we have any freedom whatsoever? Okay, so I'm going to go through... Uh, a few things. We have a lot of economic problems that are coming. One of our problems is that our uh, millennials are deep in debt. They have more school debt than any uh, cohort ever. They're deep in debt. They didn't buy houses. They're like eight or 10 years behind my generation. I'm in the generation that is the parents of the millennials. Um, 78% 78% of America right now lives paycheck to paycheck and that includes a fourth of the people who have $150,000 a year or more in income. Okay? Um it's interesting what the millennials say because 43% of them which is pretty terrifying <laughs> say that they think that socialism would be good. They would really like it if the government just makes all the rules and we just kind of get rid of that good old free market system that you know, caused most of them, many of them to grow up in the upper middle class because of freedom and what freedom does in an economy, 43% of them would rather have socialism. On the other hand, those same millennials, 70% of them don't want their taxes to go up. So you see the dichotomy, like they don't really understand what socialism is. What has happened is that uh, those who are promoting the Marxist playbook, the communist manifesto, they don't call it that. They don't call it socialism. They don't call it communism. They have all these other words for it. And you're probably familiar with what some of them are. The new green deal. Like, who doesn't want green? Green is good. Green is good for the economy, right? And so they sell it and fly it all under a couple banners. The COVID banner has just been a big winner for them. Just fly all kinds of tyranny under the COVID banner. And then of course uh, they fly a lot of things under climate change. You know, the the millennials totally buy on, on all the climate change. You know, they haven't been here long enough to remember that when it was Al Gore telling us these things. I mean, if what Al Gore had said was true, uh, living in Flagler Beach, where, you know, some of our friends have literally lived there their entire lives, 68 years, one of our friends. And he says, this beach hasn't moved. So our kids don't necessarily know that. They don't have the history to know that this has been going on for a good long time. Um so the millennials debt is part of what is potentially going to bury us here. We've got to educate our millennials. We've got to have the conversations maybe we weren't having with them when they were kids and teenagers and young adults. My kids are finding it strange that mom's talking to them about things she wasn't talking about. Wasn't talking about five and five and 10 years ago. And I wish I did. So. Um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I raised my kids uh, the way I would have had I known that we were heading this direction. So we 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 have to wake a whole lot of people up. We have to help people understand that the free market system is in jeopardy. That's that's really a lot of what's going on here that people don't recognize. Is that the free market system is under attack from 50 different angles. And one of them right now, and that's a lot of what many of us, you know, went to the Utah Capitol today to speak on, is that the people who have no accountability for, you know, death and injury by the jab are pushing it to the small business owners. They want small businesses to die anyway. So it's just like a kind of like a last... uh the last rug to pull out from under the small businesses. Okay. They've been suffering. It's been a, a game of stop, go, stop, go. Yes, you can run your business. No, you can't shut it down. We I mean, you imagine these restaurant owners? They have to have like $2,000 at any given time of raw, raw ingredients to be able to cook, to be able to serve their menu. And then all of a sudden it goes bad because we're in a lockdown and then they have to go buy it again to start back up. And then they don't know how much to buy because they're only allowed to use half their tables. I and mean, look at what they've put restaurants through, right? Restaurants and bars. So I want to point out that I believe that with the shortages that are coming, that there are things that you could invest in right now that are worth more than like a typical investment. So food is the obvious one. And I want you to You know, think about the fact that having some food against the winter, it's not something to be scared of. And the things that I'm going to mention to you, you won't be able to afford all of them. Most of you cannot afford all of them. I'm just giving you ideas, but maybe there's one or two that you can and that will help you get through this winter. So rather than these things I'm going to go through stress you out, how about you think of yourself as either a bear or a squirrel? Okay. So decide right now, are you a bear or a squirrel listening to what I'm going to say? Think of it as hibernating for the winter. What is it that you need to get through a winter where maybe the things that you're used to just running over to Home Depot to get or running over to the grocery store to get, some of them won't be available. So it's not a fun topic to to think about. Of course, we want to think that the stores will always be chock full of everything we need, but that's probably not going to be the case. It looks to me like I've been saying for 18 months now that we're gonna have food shortages, gas shortages. I'm amazed that it lasted this long um but i actually think we are very near to significant shortages hitting us and possibly um gas rationing gas shortages so uh you know you know that we've made a huge re- strategic relocation sold properties i owned in utah all of them but there's one there it's fully furnished we moved our furniture in there you know so that we could go back or so that i could put my kids in there if i had to or we can rent it out as a as a rental property and it's still we still haven't rented it out because I want a really good tenant who could pay us six months of rent up front because why would I put somebody in there who gives me just one month of rent and they could squat and just say, sorry, COVID, can't pay rent. All right, so let me run through um a handful of things that you could um that you could invest in now if you can, that I think would be really helpful for you to have to be prepared as well as some things that perhaps someone else might need in your life. So one is maybe a five-year supply of seeds. If you make it really, uh, you know, like in a Ziploc gallon freezer bag or a quart freezer bag, you can uh, freeze them or refrigerate them. But a five-year supply of seeds... Anything you can do to set yourself up with a garden. A lot of the reason we left Park City to come here to Jacksonville, Florida, is so that we could garden. We had, at the beginning of this, when I saw that, you know, food insecurity is going to become an issue, even for people who can afford food. Um, I really was, you know, wanting to grow a garden, even though I hadn't done it in several years. I raised my kids with 10 Grow boxes of 10 by 10 square foot gardens. We raised everything. I had three different uh composting boxes, but that sort of that phase of life had come and gone. It was just me and John. I was traveling a lot. Uh I don't like to cook for just me. I'm not like like this person who thinks that cooking is fun. And so I just eat a really simple diet. Like lunch for me, like might be a quart of green smoothie. a pint of green smoothie and some pistachios. like That is a typical meal for me. And John kind of does his own cooking. So it was time to start gardening again for different reasons, for preparedness, for access to fresh food. So gardening, having seeds on hand, being prepared to garden, I don't know that much is more important than that. Uh Another thing we did is we went through our house and did an inventory of all the different types of light bulbs that we have, and we got three or four replacement light bulbs for each place that we have you know why did one another reason we moved here is that we have a big whole home generator, and we're and it's diesel so those those generators last forever. We're told, and diesel gas can store. And there's no HOA here because it's quite rural area, unincorporated part of the county. And you can store diesel gas and you don't have to do anything to diesel gas for it to last a long time. If you store regular gas, you have to add fuel additive. So if you are going to try to store regular gas, I mean, I'll admit that in Utah, I filled up 55 gallon barrels of gas. And then I was like, wait a minute. So the HOA probably wouldn't be too stoked about this. And if it started a fire and my house blew up and it affected my neighbor's. Um, that would be terrible. And my insurance probably wouldn't pay for the damage. And so then it just made me more and more nervous. And then I built a shed on the side of the house and that didn't really work out that great. Finally, I just literally gave all my 55-gallon barrels of gas to my brother. And they were regular gas, right? Because that's what our our truck and John's little Honda run on. Well, anyways, now my brother has all that gas. And it was a lot of gas and it was very expensive. But diesel, if you have a generator that runs on diesel, that gas apparently doesn't go bad. And so a gas stash is good. It's not really going to work if you're in a condo or um, you know a housing development with an HOA. That's your problem there. So a lot of people like solar, but I do not think that solar by and large gets you off the grid these these are the kinds of investments that I think that you'll be glad that you made long term, especially if you're where you want to be. I know that some of you are still considering a strategically relocation, like like we made. Uh, so seeds, light bulbs, a couple years worth of light bulbs. See, our house could run uh, on the whole house generator, but you, how? What what good does that do you if your lights go out? Do you see what I'm saying? So start thinking like that. Got a second fridge. The fridge is in the garage. It's a fridge freezer. We're not even plugging it in. We don't need that much food. Um, We could fill it up. I might fill it up. haven't decided yet. But right now it's just there in case you can't get a compressor. If the supply chains are super messed up in six months or a year, and again, you're a bear, you're a squirrel, hopefully none of these things happen. But if you can afford an extra fridge freezer and it fits in your garage, that might be something that you consider getting. Because these are the kinds of things that are starting to become scarce and that you have to kind of work to find one. When we first moved here, I was totally planning on getting the guy who's been mowing this property because it's like one and a quarter acres. I was planning on just hiring the guy who was mowing it for the one who sold it to us. Guess that, that guy didn't want to do it. He's like, nah, I was just doing it because the guy who sold it to you is my buddy. I don't want to do it. So then we called like other mowing firms and none of them wanted to do it. Then we started going to lawnmower uh, businesses, right? Everything is Home Depot and Walmart and all the big multinational corporations. So of course the first place John went because he knows he knows that... I really want to support local businesses. Wherever we are, support the local businesses. So he went to this little lawnmower store and they were like, we can't get lawnmowers. Like, we'd love to sell you one, but we have hardly any. And they were like, and you don't want to go to Home Depot because those are the ones that are crappy. And I mean, maybe they were just giving us their sales pitch, right? Of course, they don't want us to go to Home Depot. But at one of these small lawn mowing businesses, the more we learned, the more we we felt like we better have our own lawnmower. We better have our own lawnmower, even if we were going to hire somebody to do it. So we did get a ride on lawnmower, which is not something I was planning on investing in. But having that was important. We just replaced our, our AC. It was 13 years old. It probably would have lasted another five years. It even had a new compressor. Um, but here in Florida, you don't want your air conditioner to go out. What if it went out next summer and you couldn't get parts or you couldn't get a new air conditioner? If you're expecting massive long-term disruption of the supply chains, then if your air conditioner is about to go out and you've been saving for it for a few years because you know it's really old, I mean, some of you might have an 18-year-old air conditioner, then that would be a really good investment. You know what I had them do? I said, before I even hire you, I want you to bubble wrap it and I want you to put it in the utility building. On my property because there might be somebody who needs an air conditioner and there's nothing wrong with my air conditioner. It's just 13 years old. So I wanted to bubble wrap it. I'm not saying that if somebody I knew needed an air conditioner that I would sell it to them for crazy black market prices, but some of you would do that. And some of you are excited by the idea that your old air conditioner could be worth a lot of money. I don't know if it's going to be worth a lot of money. I don't know if you might need it later or if you might need parts from it later. So we happen to have the room that we can set aside our old air conditioner. I'm sure absolutely nobody in the history of this HVAC company has ever had anybody who wanted them to bubble wrap the old one that was perfectly decent and put it in a utility building for preparedness against the future. But it's it's an idea. It's an idea that you might want to be thinking about. Um, I really wasn't planning on doing that. I was planning on buying the new hvac system and keeping it so that i can use it if and when i need it but that doesn't really work like that a hot water heater does which we're also getting a new $500 water heater which will be in our garage in case we need it right not hooked up but it's just you know in its box next to our hot water heater the hvac doesn't really work like that there's a lot of parts and it's like a whole day installation kind of thing. So I just went ahead and had it installed. Nobody wanted to sell me one without the labor involved. I think they make most of their money on the labor. So we got a mower, a generator, diesel fuel. If you live in a somewhat rural area and you can store it legally, an underground diesel tank is an option. I have not been able to find anybody who would come just put in the tank, fill the tank. Uh, so ours is above ground, uh, food, uh, screw top buckets. We got a bunch of two gallon screw top buckets so that we could put, you know, oats, things like that. It'll keep the weevils out. It'll keep bugs out. It'll make it last a lot longer. The screw top buckets weren't very cheap. And it's certainly, you can certainly save food in a lot, um, more inexpensive ways, um, but these are some of the things that I thought you might be interested in. Um, we're going to be planting fruit trees. I want to plant a papaya, orange, grapefruit tree. Those are actual food, right? And then a lemon and lime tree just for, you know, making green smoothies. I have a blender because green smoothies are such a big part of our lifetime or our lifestyle. I have a blender that doesn't need electricity. It's a hand crank blender, right? And it'd probably make more green chunkies than green smoothies, but it's useful if you don't have, uh, if you don't have electricity. And I've had that for years because I've been prepping for literally 30 years. I've been prepping my whole entire adult life. So in fact, I would do classes on preparedness, except that, you know what I find is that most people, they cannot imagine that there's going to come a time when they can't just go to the grocery store and get food because the, the this has been the case their whole life they don't think about where food comes from they just think that they'll be able to get it in fact every single time i meet someone and i tell them that the reason we bought this place is like well why would you move here you don't know anybody in st johns county and i'm like well this property has a well has a whole home generator and they'll just be like oh you don't need that big huge generator when the when the hurricanes come they knock out the power two days Um, Neighbors here say up to seven days because we're the last people that they get to because unincorporated county. 100% of the time when I have mentioned to people, it's probably 30, 40 people I've met at church or wherever. um, 100% of them want to tell me that, oh, the hurricanes only knock out the power for like two days or maybe a week at the most. And I always say, well, I'm not actually really worried about hurricanes. I'm more worried about Armageddon. And you know, I'm saying it like kind of jokingly, but also just like see how much I have in common with this person. Cause I would love to hang out with people who are preparing and who I can learn something from and I can have an open conversation. 100% of the time when I've said that, like I said, I've probably said it 30 or 40 times. Uh hundred percent of the time there's a long, awkward pause and the other person has absolutely nothing to say. So that's kind of my clue. This person is not preparing. This person has never thought about preparing. You know, I have a neighbor in Park City. She lived across the street from me. Three little kids. They're both professionals. They both have advanced degrees. She didn't have tomorrow's food. They didn't even put a one day supply of food. They went to the store every single day for what they're going to eat that day. So I'm telling you this because you also, if you're serious about preparedness, might want to consider all the people around you and what is going to happen and your brain can go lots of different places with that but we bought cases and cases of food we didn't, we wouldn't eat like it's not something i would typically put in my food storage but i've got all kinds of cases of like pork and beans for instance i got giant cases for families i got small cases of like nally's chili okay not something i would buy not something i would eat But it has a long shelf life and it's something most other people would eat. So this is the kind of stuff I put in my food storage for other people. We are decked on booze. We have lots of booze and that's for its trading value. And for the fact that if you look at, at third world countries, I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter how poor some people are. If they're into booze or they're an alcoholic, they will, they will cough up the cash. They will find a way to get the booze, even in very, very, uh, desperate circumstances. So, my point is, we have lots of booze, not because we're necessarily going to drink ourselves stupid during Armageddon, though I reserve the right to do that as well, <laughs> but because we're just looking for what has trading value. What is it that people will want? Not just what we will want, but what is it that people will want, uh, when if things go south? Okay. So, you know what? Again, I want to point out we, we hope for the best. We live our lives in peace. We love our lives. We have a lot of fun. I, My friends, Carmen and Andy just got here. I saw them in the backyard. I'm going to end this to go say hello to them. They're spending the night tonight uh, on, as they're on a little road trip. We have an amazing life and we aren't not living our life and we're not living our life in fear, but we are preparing. We're hoping for the best and preparing for the worst. Okay. Just because you're into preparedness doesn't mean that you're a fear monger. It doesn't mean that you're crazy. It doesn't mean that you're a conspiracy theorist. It means that you're prepared for the future. That's all it means. And I'm a big fan of it. And I hope that you share this content with other people you know who need to be preparing because I think that, the, that what you can buy right now, especially with anything with the chip, I also just bought an extra laptop. Okay. I was thinking about buying... Four laptops that I had them for my employees if their computers go out. But you know, the hard thing with computers is, you know, there's always a new one coming down the pike. So I hope they solve the chip problem, but I have read that the chip problem is going to go on for years. The chip shortage. Why they know that? I don't know. I don't know that much about electronic chips, but guess what? With the internet of things and the way they're making everything controllable by an app from your phone. Uh, I think that the chip shortage could have a dramatic impact on our lives and our lifestyle, so you know I think that the iPhone thirteen is coming out. I don't know if I'm gonna like buy one so that I don't think you can buy it right now, but the chip shortage is gonna be a problem and I don't know if there's a chip in refrigerators or dishwashers or what, but anyway, just things to consider that things that you normally wouldn't buy until they break are things that you want to consider right now because uh, life is changing. It appears to me that our president is intentionally uh, destroying our economy by ways big and small. I mean, you don't just cancel the the Keystone pipeline, canceled something like 50,000 American jobs, tons of Canadian jobs as well. And then he goes to OPEC and begs them for extra oil why is that? Why does he want to be dependent on Middle Eastern oil? And Trump, for the first time in many decades, had us completely uh, non-dependent on foreign oil. So a lot is changing and it doesn't roll out in a day or a month. So if you feel like this false sense of security of Oh, well, all this terrible stuff happened. They said it was two weeks to flatten the curve, but you know, life looks pretty normal. I look around and I see that I'm still able to get food and people always talking about shortages, but you know, it's just because the grocery store runs down on Sunday night and then Monday they get their truckload of food. You guys, I hope that there's plenty of everything for everyone, but I do believe that there are going to be significant shortages. If you guys want to learn more about the how and why, just go go subscribe to Ice Age Farmer on YouTube. That's what he specializes in. He's watching the news from all over the world about the intentional actions of our rogue government, who seem to be all controlled by the same source, standing way above government. The super government decision makers seem to be intentionally destroying whole industries that supply us food. Um, especially animal products. Okay. If you like beef or pork, uh, chicken, eggs, they seem to really have it in for animal products, but some, a lot of vegetables too. So the more we can be self-reliant, the more we can depend on ourselves, the more we can prepare. A lot of people would call what I'm suggesting, uh, to you to do. A lot of people would call it, uh, hoarding. Which is interesting when I heard that for the first time a year and a half ago, people getting very angry and saying, how dare you hoard? You should take only what is, you know, your little portion, which is a very communist way of thinking, right? That there's this huge supply chain and this certain amount of food and you should only take your ration. Okay. Great. But the, the religious tradition that I was raised in, you were supposed to have a year's supply of food. Now doing it right now, right? In the 11th hour. Deathbed repentance, I think they might have a point. I think we might actually be hoarding. But I'm just here to say, I'm just here to be the watchman on the tower. I feel called to it and to give you some tips about preparedness. If you've never thought about preparedness before, I really thought about getting a chicken coop, really looked into it and great deal, decided against it, decided I don't want a chicken coop. If I had little kids, I would totally do it. Um, there's lots and lots of people around here have chicken coops and they have signs in front say you can buy eggs. And John told me there's no way he would lop off the head of a chicken and pluck its feathers and cook it and eat it for dinner. And I'm quite certain that if he did, I'd probably cry all the way through dinner and never eat chicken again. So I don't eat chicken much anyway, but so we decided against that. But that's, you know, something that a lot of people are considering. And if I had kids who would enjoy taking care of chickens, um, I would do something like that. That's that's just an example. But those are some thoughts that I have about your preparedness. I believe that the money you could spend right now on some of these items, if you can afford them, are going to be worth more than your savings are. Your savings uh, are losing value. If you aren't in my cryptocurrency webinar, if you have not yet watched it, it'll be the two best two hours, the most educational two hours that you've heard this week. It's very, very important because it's a great way to sidestep the hyperinflation that we're in right now. Your government, if you're an American listening to this, your government dumped 24% more money into the M2 monetary supply. And what that is, is a direct tax on you. That literally costs you 24% of the value of your dollars that you've been trying to save your entire life. So if you're interested in how to invest your money in a good store of value, in the safest store of value uh that has nowhere to go but up, is it volatile? Yes. Cryptocurrencies are volatile. Would I invest in most of them? Nope. I wouldn't invest in 99.5% of them. But I share with you what my thoughts are. And we've spent a great deal of time studying cryptocurrency in the last year and a half since this happened. My cryptocurrencies are worth like 400% more than I paid for them a year and a half ago, the original amount that I I spent back then, but I think they're a better uh, investment right now than real estate is. Real estate, the prices are super, super high. The mortgage companies are sitting on a bubble. Okay. The only reason any of them are still in business is because of the government bailouts and all the deferrals. You've got got 20% of America not paying rent. You have 10 million uh, Americans who are behind in their mortgage payments and are deferring payments. Well, for the first time ever that I'm aware of, the mortgage companies themselves are able to defer payments. So everybody is sitting on this bubble waiting to burst. It's completely unsustainable. We know how this story ends. The bubbles burst. And so I wouldn't, you know, my, my college age 21-year-old son messaged me this big long message about, mom so i'm going to buy two real estate properties a year for the next 4 years and i'll have eight of them and i said ah oh, i love your ambition if you would have said this to me 5 years ago or 10 years ago i would have been all about it that's a really bad idea right now right? i have, i had a colleague uh, text me this weekend and say oh yeah we just bought a lot we're going to build on it over in the panhandle well i own some some property over in the panhandle too but they're like you know they're Already built. And I said, sell it. Sell it. Thank me later. Seriously, sell your lot. You're not going to be building anything. Anybody starting a construction project right now is in for some of the worst stress of their entire lives. Okay. You have to understand what's going on in the building industry. This is a terrible time to build. So I've told probably 10 or 12 friends that they're like, oh, I'm going to build over here. I'm like, "Do do you know what's going on with labor, with supply chains? with rent being canceled. So anyways, I don't know that we can wake some people up who've been paying very, very little attention to what's going on in the economy. And a lot of these people who are saying these things to me, they're 30, they're 30 years old or 32 years old or whatever, they weren't there. They weren't there in the 80s when we had gas rationing like I did. Listen, ask anybody from a third world country what it's like to stand in line all day for all evening for six hours waiting for your voucher to get your rationing of gas. And then the next day you go back with your voucher and you stand in line for two more hours only to find that when you get to the end of the line, they're out. There's no gas. And you got to figure out, oh, how do I run my life with absolutely no gas? People will adjust. People will learn to live with scarcity. People will, will adapt. I've seen people be very adaptive in the last year and a half. But those who are prepared, those who, you know, take take a look at my crypto webinar. I'm going to share it in the show notes down below. Make sure you look at show notes for that link. You can watch it for free. The webinar is for free. And it's just kind of giving you a compressed version. And I geared it towards baby boomers and beginners, people who know nothing about cryptocurrencies. Okay, it's the way the future is going. And if you guys want to write me an email and tell me that you've seen what Alison McDowell has to say and blockchain is the devil, that's like saying that because there's porn on the internet, that the internet is bad. There are bad people doing things with the blockchain technology, but there are also entities in the free market system that are using the blockchain technology, which is just a transparent ledger to try to free us. Okay, using the blockchain technology to free us of corrupt government and corrupt central banks is really our only hope right now. So I'm not trying to get you guys to uh, you know, join the new world order by having you take a look at what is going on in cryptocurrency. That is a profoundly ignorant view. Uh, you know, because every time I talk about cryptocurrencies, I get a few emails of people saying, I watched Allison McDowell, and you're a terrible person for talking about cryptocurrencies. It's like, well, don't look at it then. But I probably know uh more about some other subjects than she does. She knows what some bad people like Michael Bloomberg and Bill Gates and the cabal and Tony Fauci, et cetera, et cetera, Joe Biden are doing to create slavery with the blockchain system. But I also know what hundreds of different companies are doing to disrupt a lot of industries and and actually make many industries more accountable and get the central banks out of our lives, right? I think I've mentioned to you guys that I got canceled by Square, Venmo, and PayPal in one week. Right now, they're getting a letter from my attorney saying you caused massive destruction to my two businesses, Turn my account back on, you refused to even give a reason why you're doing it, we don't have returns, our returns are like 1% of 1%, they're unheard of low, didn't do anything wrong. They haven't accused us of doing anything wrong with the central bank. Institutions are canceling people for speaking up against the vaccine. That's how that's how I lost my Venmo, PayPal, and Square accounts. So that's another thing that you can do to prepare. Learn about cryptocurrencies. Watch my webinar, show notes below. But also get yourself an independent bank account. Okay, so I moved most of my savings into a credit union account. You know Biden in this new infrastructure bill really is trying to hide it. But he's, he wants surveillance of all bank accounts that have more than $600 in them. And he's using as an excuse, we got to nail those billionaires who aren't paying taxes. Okay. Why $600 then? Wouldn't billionaires have, I don't know, a billion dollars or more? Okay. It's, it's just a lie. It's just one of the many lies of our leftist government. They give us a plausible sounding excuse to do something super tyrannical. So lots of thoughts I've given you about how to prepare, hope for the best, Um, exercise your faith like never before, get on your knees, hold your family close, love them better, love them more, form a community of like-minded people. I hope you go to TakeActionForFreedom.com and click on our freedom groups, start a freedom group. Most of them are in Utah. That's where I really focused. You can start a freedom group in your state. You can take the whole cause up for your state if you want. And you can post your freedom groups there. We built that whole functionality. So you can start freedom groups for your state. Let us know how you can help how we can help you with that. Um, you can also look on takeactionforfreedom.com. We started United Healthcare uh, Workers for Choice. Okay, and we have a telegram group for every state. These are the kinds of things that we're organizing right now. Because if it's the last thing I do. I'm going to take every stand I can to support freedom. That's what I thought this country was about. I thought I was bringing four children into a country that valued the free market system, that valued democracy, that valued personal accountability and personal choice. So to that end, I hope you join us. Any of those things speak to you. Uh, links down below. We'll see you next time.